welcome to Champagne and Murder, please. We are so happy that you are here. I say we because... Hello. She's back. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) (laughs) Said in not the most creepy way possible. Back for more. Because she's still in my basement. Yep. She's locking me up. Somebody help. (laughs) But this time I let you have your dogs. So that's true. And if you're watching on the TikTok live, which when this comes out, you won't be. Um, <laughs> we have three beautiful puppers here. We have Midge. Midge. He's the teeniest weeniest. Then we have Mr. Dozer. Oh, Dozer. Dozing on the floor. Oh, that and Nibbles over here. Miss Nibbles, the three-legged wonder. Aw. All hanging out to see what mommy and auntie are doing. Causing trouble, mostly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I've missed you. I missed you, too. Oh, Here there's Midge. Here we go. <laughs> Hi, Midge. I told you, he is the whiniest weenie. Yes, he is. Ever. The whiny wiener. What have you been up to? Did Nothing. you go work for that lady this past week or no? I went last week. Yeah? Yeah. What did I do? Got some posts to start making that catio, so that's cool. Oh, I'm excited. What Loki else? gets his own catio. Hopefully soon. He's <laughs> like, oh, yeah, whatever. You've been saying that for the last few years, Mom. <laughs> like the girls with their uh, playhouse outside? Oh. They had one, but it kept blowing over, and I got sick of putting it back together. So John's like, I'm just going to build him one. I was like, would you please? That Did would you guys be get great. rid of it? Yeah. Uh, I gave it to, well, I put it at the end of the... The road, I tried to give it to my sister first, and she's like, no, fuck you. I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> you are not pawning that off on me. She's like, I know exactly what you're trying to do. It's I know why you don't work. want it. There's a reason you don't want it. Yeah. And so I put it at the end of the driveway, and somebody came and picked it up. So I was like, all right, cool. Nice. Have, it. Have fun with that. <laughs> They're like, going to be like, oh, now I know why. Like, John, like, screwed the rooftop to the other pieces, but the wind was so strong, it came through and just, like, ripped everything apart because <sighs> it's that plastic. So I'm yeah. like, Whatever. Like, I'm sick of it. <laughs> done and done. It's like, I'm done with it. So. But anyway. Anywho. No more playhouses for us, but a catio for yeah. Mr. Loki. Yes. He's going to love it. He is. It's going to be great. You're like, where's Loki? Oh, he's probably in the catio. He's in his own private catio. He's so fancy. <sighs> so fancy. <laughs> Stuck up. <laughs> <laughs> He's actually a stuck-up bitch. You want me to do what? Exactly. <laughs> no. It's not going to happen. You want me to bury my poop? <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> uh, no, because your brothers and sister will come and eat it anyway. You can just so it's smell fine. it. <laughs> like, I guess it doesn't help that he used to go in the toilet, so he didn't have to bury it then. Yeah, that's true. Once so. they're potty trained, you can't really go back from that. Nope. Unless they're a four-year-old who's stubborn as hell. <laughs> so i don't think i've told anybody on here oh, about the story of the potty the baby story. being potty trained so i went to las vegas last year was it last year already Jesus. Yeah. um with my sister for her 21st birthday and um vanessa came and watched the kids and Thea was like 
potty trained, but not quite. Was like, I know what I'm supposed to do. Am I going to do it? No, because it's no fun. <laughs> but we'll see. Totally understand. I wouldn't want to do it either. It's okay. And I get a picture <laughs> while I'm in Vegas. <laughs> and it's the youngest. And she's like squatting over the toilet. Her feet are on the seat. Both and feet, she's hovering. Both hands on the toilet Both seat. hands, too. She's Squatty. hovering over yeah. it. And I'm like, what is happening in this picture? And I get an explanation from Vanessa. <laughs> Go ahead. I'll let you tell them this like, part. So, I showed Thea the video of Loki going on the toilet. <laughs> and uh, she's a kitty. So... Yeah, this is how she's going now. <laughs> so. Sorry. My daughter learned how to use the toilet from a cat. Yep. She's so, like, well, if I'm, if I'm a cat and Loki is going on the toilet. Exactly. And I got to go on the toilet. <laughs> so I must use the toilet if Loki can use the toilet. So we're all good. I mean, got her to go, right? I Hey, I was just impressed that you got her to be excited about it. <laughs> so. I was happy. I had a potty trained child when I got back. That was great. Nice. <laughs> so I appreciate that very much. Like, Thank all you. Right. She only, you. You did the hardest work for me. She only tried going like that a few times, right? Uh, it lasted like six months. Did it really? Yeah. Oh my God. Every time she went. And I was like, I really hope this ends before she goes to school. Nope. I just remember seeing like her pants completely off, like walking to the bathroom and like the pants are on the floor. Oh yeah. And I'm like, what is this girl doing? And I walk in, she's on all, like, all yeah. fours are on the seat. I'm like, oh, okay. But <laughs> at like, least oops. when she gets to high school, she's not going to need her own litter box. Like some of these places. <laughs> uh, she's like, no, nah, I'm a toilet train cat. So. She's like, excuse it's me, I am proper. <laughs> Thank you very much. I got this. Now, if you could teach my cats to do it, it'd be great. I could try. <laughs> They'd be like, are you serious right now? Because like, that's uh, not a thing. No. <laughs> I'm going to go over there. I think the last time Kabuki went into the bathroom, he fell into the toilet. So I don't think he's ever going to go back in oh, there. Oh, yeah. Probably Never not. again. We'll like, I don't know what happened last time I went up there. Never <laughs> again. Mm. It'll be fine. The cats will figure it out. So I don't even know if I'll be able to retrain Loki. It's been three years now. Oh, he's already, he's moved on. No. He's moved on. <laughs> He's like, fuck I might this bitch. Like, I might try anyway. <laughs> I don't know when, but I might try. I'm going to try it. We're going to figure it out. I like it. toilet seat. <laughs> you get your own special seat. you got to put it down first, he though. He does. The, the the potty training, the squishy ones for mm-hmm. kids. That's what I have he likes them. those? Well, it's apparently it's, like, the easiest for them to, like, sit on if you're toilet training or the mm. squishy seat. So I was like, I'm not going to buy a squishy seat. I'll just get... And I had Jaden's old one. I was like... I'll just use the SpongeBob one that Jaden doesn't use anymore. <laughs> so Loki potty trained on a SpongeBob seat. Yeah. I like it. Skittles did too. Nice. So, Skittles was rude. Yeah, she's a bitch. I miss her, but she was a bitch. Yeah. She's with Dave. <laughs> Hi, Dave. She's living it up all by herself in that big house. I am Dave. <laughs> That's all I think of whenever you say Dave, though. Hi, I'm Dave. <laughs> oh, and I played... Um, Save that money yeah. for Noah when I picked him up from work. Was it yesterday? He's like, yeah, why is everybody playing Save That Money when they pick me up? Well, and he goes, what are you listening to? And I was like, don't you remember? Like, Vanessa and I, like, blasted this out of the speakers when we came to pick you up. No, I do not remember that. I'm like, you must have blacked that yeah, out. Yeah, like, hmm. <laughs> Repressed He's memories. Like, no. 
He's like, no, that's PTSD. I'm not dealing with that shit. (laughs) (laughs) Which, of course, made me laugh. And then he's like listening to the actual lyrics and he's like, this is funny as fuck. Yeah. I know. Yes, it is. (laughs) Did he just say? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he did. Yes, he did. And then, of course, I'm singing along and he's like, oh, my God. He's like, I'm so glad it was dark out when you came to pick me up from work. I was like, you're welcome. I don't know who these people are, but I'm going to get in the car with them, I guess. I guess I better get in the car if I want to make it home. (laughs) These strangers are going to take me home. (laughs) He's probably like, this is the most ridiculous thing ever. I'm going to remember this. Yep. It's going to be a core memory. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. He remembers. He was lying. I know. He got a flashback. He was probably trying to figure out where he remembered it from. Yeah. Yeah. So, what are we drinking? Well. You go first. My drink that I've been obsessed with for a year now. (laughs) Freedom Lemonade. Freedom Limonade. Freedom Lemonade. I went from Freedom Sours. Oh, it's strawberry lemonade. Yep. Mm. Well, I had... It comes in lemonade and strawberry lemonade. Okay. And I'm obsessed with these now. I went from sours to these. I think I like those lemonades better yeah. than the other ones. But They're I am delicious. drinking my my Truly from the Celebration Pack. It's the orange one. I don't remember what it's called, though. It's inside the koozie. I'm not taking it out. No, they're pretty good, though. <laughs> they are pretty good. They taste a little different than other um trulys yeah they have a little bit more sweetness to them to begin with which i like is that what it is? i remember when i sweetener. when i said that i was a sweet person the last time we recorded i was like i went back and listened to it i was like i am not a sweet person i am a like to eat and drink sweets things person <laughs> i was like damn it not now people meant. think i think i'm sweet i'm not That's i not know what that. I meant by sweet <laughs> i put the hot and psychotic <laughs> It's like hot. It's like hot. So yeah, I am not a sweet person. I am a I am. eat and drink sweets person. So that too. That's why I add juice to my Trulies because I can't handle that they're not sweet. Not sweet enough. Yep. <laughs> add the sugar. Add all the sugar. So what do you think? We got um Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Um, this is coming out on Turkey Day. Day before I would normally let stuff go out, but I just wanted to tell everybody happy turkey day and bring you some not so happy turkey day situations. Yep. So, you're welcome. Um, we have three of them for you, and we're gonna sandwich it like a big old stuffed turkey. I'm in the middle, and Vanessa's always in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> the Oreo is gonna be reversed this time. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Did you I know they came to. out with white Oreos, white chocolate oh. Oreos. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. All right, sounds good. I don't think I've ever seen them. Are you serious? Or are no, you just I'm not fucking serious. with me? Okay, thank you. I'm gonna say I'm way too gullible for the shit. <laughs> oh, I mean, if they did, I don't know about it. <laughs> <laughs> They're probably like back in the inventing room now, rubbing their hands together. Like yes, yes. We shall make the cookies out of the cream and the cream out of the cookie. Mm. That'd be weird. That would. But what do you say, dogs and Vanessa? Should we get into it? What do you guys think? Yeah? All right. Dozer I, said, I yeah. Agree. 
All right, let's Thor's do this. Like, hurry up. <laughs> Mom, I need belly rubs. <gasps> All right. So for my first story that I have for you this Thanksgiving, it is a, another decades-old cold case that has been solved with the help of genetic genealogy databases. This time, it was the long-unsolved murder of 11-year-old Terry Lynn Hollis. On Thanksgiving Day, November 23, 1972, Oops. Terry and her 16-year-old brother Randy were at their home on Dale Mead Street in South Torrance, California. Terry was feeling restless, and she was an active kid, so when she went outside to play and ride her bike around 3 p.m., she never returned. Uh. Yeah. When it started to get late, her parents, Ronald John Hollis and Shirley Ruth Pierce, began to worry. They were not able to locate Terry Lynn, and at 8.55 p.m., they reported her missing. It took the police just a few minutes to get to the house, and search for Terry was underway. The search went on throughout the night and into the following morning until they received news that caused the search to end. On the 24th of November, at 10.15 a.m., the body of a child was discovered. The body was found about 70 miles from where Terry Lynn's home was, and two fishermen had found the body along the shoreline in Ventura County. The body had been on the rocks 20 feet below the PCH, and Herbert Ray Pierce, Terry's uncle, was the one to identify her body. When she was found on the rocks, all she had on was a white t-shirt. Terry Lynn had been sexually assaulted and strangled to death. In the following days, police spoke with everyone who knew Terry because the belief was that whoever murdered Terry Lynn had known her. They also focused their search on an area on the area sex offenders. A little over a week after Terry Lynn had been murdered, police released a visual of a person that they wanted to speak to in connection with Terry Lynn's death. A neighbor in the area told police that on Thanksgiving Day, they saw a man riding a bike alongside Terry Lynn at around 4 p.m. Despite interviews taking place and searches being conducted, police had nothing concrete to work with. And so days turned to weeks and weeks to months, and just over a year after Terry Lynn's murder, they discovered that the neighbor who, quote, saw a man riding a bicycle with Terry Lynn, end quote, was just a boy riding a bike beside a girl who was not Terry Lynn. Through in further investigations, police were able to establish that Terry Lynn went to Walteria Park that day. It was about two miles from her home. They believed that she had been abducted there and murdered close to the area. In February 1974, police believed they finally had a break in the case. A 29-year-old man was arrested on suspicion of child molestation, and police decided to question him about Terry Lynn's case, too. He was charged with her murder, but the charges would be dropped just two months later when evidence surfaced that he was not connected to Terry Lynn's murder. He did plead guilty to one count of child molestation of a 10-year-old boy. Oh, God. Yeah. So much better. After the murder charges were dropped, there was very little activity, and Terry Lynn's case became a cold one. It was reopened in 2000, and a DNA swab taken from Terry Lynn's body was sent to the Los Angeles County Crime Lab to see if it matched any profiles in CODIS, which, unfortunately, it did not. And in 2015... Police requested Parabon Nano Labs to conduct a genetic genealogy analysis on the DNA to create a profile. 
Three years later, the analysis returned a match to a potential relative of the suspect. Police were able to locate the relative, but the man they now believed was involved in Terry Lynn's murder was dead. He was buried in Maricopa County, Arizona, and had died from what was listed on his death certificate as quote-unquote medical complications. According to various reports on the case, he was thought to be homeless or transient at the time of his death. His body was exhumed and DNA swabs were taken from the bones, and it was discovered to be a match to a Jake Edward Brown. At the time of Terry Lynn's murder, Jake was 36 years old and the family didn't know him. Police were not able to verify why Jake was in Torrance that day, and investigators questioned whether he was passing through and had committed the crime opportunistically, or if he was specifically on the lookout for a victim, and they would never find out. Jake Edward Brown, a.k.a. Thomas Tracy Burham, I don't know how you get that from Jake Edward Brown, but okay. He was not in custody when he died. He moved around a lot and was, a regist was registered as living at several different addresses over the years. Terry Lynn was not the first to suffer a cruel ordeal at the hands of Brown. Rapes, robberies, and sexual assaults peppered the man's criminal record, and Terry Lynn would not be his final victim. He had been arrested in L.A. in April 1973 for the rape of a minor. That was just six months after Terry Lynn had been murdered. In 1974, he was arrested again for another rape in Alameda County. It took 47 years to find out who was responsible for Terry Lynn's murder, and sadly, her parents were not alive to see her case closed. Her brother Randy was told of the developments in the case, and he said, quote, I only wish my parents were still alive to see this. A lot was taken from us that day and throughout my life. On Thanksgiving Day, I always allow for a private moment to remember Terry. End quote. Terry Lynn's murder changed her parents' lives forever. Her father became involved in the neighborhood watch program. He wanted to walk children along the street so that nothing would happen to them. At the time, they still did not know who killed Terry Lynn, so there was a fear in the community that it was someone they knew. And while police have connected Jake to Terry Lynn's murder, it is unlikely that all the details will emerge from what happened that day. Why was he there that day and how did he abduct Terry Lynn? Don't know. He escaped justice in this life, but even if he cannot be punished for his crime, it is still of vital importance that cases are closed and the families at least know who killed their loved one. At a conference, police displayed an enlarged mugshot of Brown alone with full body photos from both the front and side profiles as they informed the local community that the cold case had finally been solved. The images, which were documented during one of Brown's 20s to his early 30s, clad in a black and white ringer t-shirt and denim jeans. And that is Terry Lynn Hollis. Yeah. Yeah. On three occasions, Patrick Frazee tried to get his mistress, Crystal Kenny, to kill his pregnant fiance, Kelsey Barrett. She was a flight instructor in Woodland Park, Colorado, and the mother of the couple's young daughter. The first time, he directed Kenny to knock on Barrett's door and hand her a coffee that had been laced with sedatives. Oh. And Kenny delivered the coffee, but not the drugs. The second time, he sent her to Barrett's house with a metal pipe and instructions to use it. Okay. 
Kenny backed off and left the pipe in the driveway. The third time, he told Kenny to wait outside Bareth's house with a baseball bat and to swing away at Bareth. Okay, I see that he's such a man. Right. Because he can't do it himself, but it tells a woman to. Right. Got it. Well, Kenny refused. Good. But when a frustrated and enraged Frazee finally murdered Bareth on his own, he Mm. ordered Kenny, who was afraid he might kill her too, if she didn't obey, to commit herself further to the crime. Uh Uh-oh. Basically to make it so she couldn't tattle on him without tattling on herself. Okay, so you do it too, so I can hold this over you. Basically. Okay. After they entered Barrett's home with a key that Freezy had had procured, Kenny found a significant blood, uh, significant blood pool on the floor in the living room. Uh-oh. Jennifer Veeman, a senior deputy district attorney in Colorado's fourth judicial circuit, says, "There's blood on the walls." There's blood on the couch, on the TV, on tables, and in the kitchen. As she spends hours cleaning up this horrific bloody crime scene, she bags up items that that can't be cleaned, says Veeman. Was it Veeman? Veeman. Okay. Pillows, baby toys. But as for Barris' family and friends, the mystery of what happened to her on Thanksgiving in 2018 was only the beginning. Uh Uh-oh. Barrett's mom, who lived in a different state, didn't report her daughter missing until 10 days after she had last been seen in public on surveillance video entering a market with the couple's then one-year-old daughter. Texts received from Barrett's phone implied she was taking time off off of work and that she had left town. Authorities trying to locate Barrett tracked the, the pings of her cell phone to a location that was hundreds of miles away in Idaho. Frazee also or also told authorities that he had communicated on and off with Barrett for three days after she, after she had last been seen. He spun a story claiming that the couple had broken things off and that Barrett seemed despondent after uh, afterward and asked him to keep their daughter for a while because she was tired and stressed out. Mm-hmm. Yep. He told the police that he was worried about her. Sure, bud. Way to play it up. <laughs> yeah. But long before investigators uncovered his, his week's worth of planning and the grisly manner in which he disposed of Barrett's body, the violence of Frazee's attack made it clear to Kenny. She recalled that as she cleaned the scene at Barrett's home, Frazee called, telling her to be sure to leave no evidence behind. Oh, and to also be on the lookout for her knocked-out teeth. Oh my, what? Yeah. Jesus! Like, be on the lookout. I don't know Hey, so by the way... According to multiple news reports, Frazee allegedly convinced 29-year-old Barrett, who authorities presumed was murdered, uh, to wrap a sweater around her head so she could guess various candle scents. What? That's weird. Once her head was cut, like, who would agree to that? I don't think I would do that. I'd be like, how about I just close my eyes, bro? Like, was she a candle maker? Or was he like, is this going to be a test? gonna be the biggest test of your life like i'm really good at like sniffing out candle scents yeah no kidding what a weirdo yeah but anyway uh i lost my place that'll happen let's see because i have a feeling you're gonna move as soon as i like here we go sorry sorry bud go ahead lay down 
We'll start over with that one. Okay, ready? According to multiple news reports, Frazee allegedly convinced a convinced 29-year-old Barrett, who authorities presumed was murdered, to wrap a sweater around her head so she could guess various candle scents. Weird. What a weirdo. Once her head was covered, Frazee, 32, allegedly bludgeoned her to death with a baseball bat before he stashed her body on a nearby ranch for two days, reports ABC. Hmm. Prosecutors presented their case against Frazee during a hearing. And by the end of the proceeding, the judge determined there was sufficient evidence for Frazee to stand trial for Barrett's murder, according to CNN. Hmm. Investigators learned the alleged details about Barrett's presumed murder from Crystal Kenny, who was an Idaho nurse who had admitted in court earlier that she helped Frazee dispose of Barrett's cell phone as part of a guilty plea to tampering with evidence. Kenny agreed to testify against Frazee at his upcoming trial and will not be sentenced until after the trial. Kenny and Frazee were romantically involved, and prosecutors allege she tried on three different occasions to carry out Barrett's murder herself and getting pissed off whenever she would refuse. Barrett has not been seen since November 22nd, 22nd of 2018. Frazee has been in custody since December 21st when police arrested him on two counts of murder and three counts of solicitation to commit murder. The couple, who did not live together, were raising their one-year-old daughter together. According to KMGH Colorado Bureau of Investigation, Agent Greg Slater testified that Kenny told police Frazee had suggested several ways for her to kill Barrett, including poisoning her coffee and beating her with a metal pipe. I mean, all totally viable. <laughs> he allegedly gave Kenny the false impression his daughter was being abused by Barrett. Within hours of the murder, prosecutors allege Frazee called Kenny, telling her she needed to, needed to drive to Colorado, saying, you got a mess to clean up. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, really? Clean it up yourself! <laughs> Bitch, I didn't do shit. You uh, clean it up. Kenny arrived at Barrett's house two days later and found a horrific scene with blood splattered everywhere. Mm. She said she spent hours cleaning the home, and that Frazee allegedly told her at one point, you don't know how hard it is to have Thanksgiving dinner after killing her. What? Oh my god, what? Like, well, I mean, then why did you kill her? You think it's bad being dead. You should try being me, having dinner after killing her. Stop, bitch. You're so loud. Once the alleged... All right, bitch. Please excuse my wiener. <laughs> Once the alleged crime scene was clean, Kenny said she went with Frazee to get the body, and they both watched as Frazee burned remains with a baseball bat somewhere on his property. She told police Frazee said he planned to throw the charred remains in a dump or a river. Prosecutors presented evidence showing Kenny took Barrett's phone back to Idaho, where she sent texts to Frazee and Barrett's employer, posing as Barrett. Later, though... She burned the phone. Prosecutors allege the murder was planned over two months, but have yet to discuss a possible motive for the crime. But in an amendment lawsuit, or amended lawsuit, Barrett's parents allege Freezy killed her because he wanted sole custody over the couple's daughter. Then go to court. You don't need to kill her to do that. That's crazy. I mean, he probably just, did just have to kill her to be able to do that, yeah. but... 
He could have taken it the legal Was it like, I want it. I want the daughter, and then I don't mm-hmm. have to pay child support. I don't know. I'm pretty sure it was just the, the latter. I mean, that doesn't make her right. No. Once the alleged crime scene was clean, Kenny said she went with Frazee to get the body, and they both watched as Frazee burned the remains of the baseball bat somewhere on his property. She told police Frazee said he planned to throw the charred remains in a dump or a river. Prosecutors presented evidence showing Kenny took Barrett's phone back to Idaho, where she sent... I already read this. <laughs> where she sent text to Frazee and Barrett's employer prosecuting... Posing as Barrett. Later, though, she burned the phone... Prosecutors allege the murder was planned over two months, but have yet to discuss a possible motive for the crime. Hmm. But in an amendment, amended lawsuit, Barrett's parents allege Frazee killed, killed her because he wants sole custody of the couple's daughter. I wonder why that's in there twice. That's weird. It's not. I just reread it. Oh, did you? <laughs> yeah. I was like, why is it in there twice? That doesn't make any sense at all. Unless it is. No. No, I'm sure I just read it. Uh-huh. The Colorado Court of Appeals held up the conviction of Patrick Frazee's or of Patrick Frazee after his attorneys argued that jurors on the case discussed the case during the trial and formed opinions before deliberations. Frazee was convicted in Teller County District Court in 2019 and sentenced to life without parole for killing Barrett. Good. Right? She had last been seen on security footage inside Woodland Park Safeway on Thanksgiving Day in 2018. Hmm. In their appeal brief before a three-judge panel in September. Attorneys for Frazee argued that three jurors discussed the case during his trial and formed opinions before deliberations. They also argued that when the, when the court became aware, not enough was done to address the potential issues. The defense also took issue with some of the evidence presented at trial, including the failure of the court to suppress statements uh, Frazee made to a Department of Human Services worker while he was being held at the Teller County Jail. (laughs) The appeals court did not publish its reasoning, but announced that the original judgment in the case was affirmed. Barrett's body has never been found, and the prosecution of Frazee relied heavily on the testimony of Kenny. She said she cleaned up the crime scene at at the direction of Frazee and later watched Frazee burn Barrett's body at his family's ranch in Florissant. Florissant? Florissant. In Florissant before she drove to Idaho with Barrett's phone. Kenny was offered a plea deal in exchange for her testimony. She pleaded guilty to one count of tampering with physical evidence and is now free on parole. Hmm. Yep, that's the story. Like, I feel bad for people who get sucked into things like that, but as soon as he'd be like, hey, you got a mess to clean up, I'd be like, the fuck I do. <laughs> right? Like, ha, you got a mess to clean like, up. That sounds like a you problem, honey. You take care of that. Like, she had to drive over there. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'd be like, mm. I would have been like, hell no. I'd have been like, so this relationship My is over. My not working, and I, I don't think and this I is going to work. <laughs> I feel like we're growing apart. Right? <clears throat> <laughs> No, thank a you. A lot apart. A lot. We just don't want the same things. Nope, we're done now. <laughs> Goodbye. Okay, so for my second story, I have Hallie Kiefer or Kiefer. I'm not going to say it right, and I apologize. I would say Kiefer. It's K I F E R. Kiefer? Oh, maybe it's Kiefer. 
I looked knows? it up like three times and I still can't do it right. Yeah. But that was like a week and a half ago, so there's that. Anyway, and Nicholas Brady were murdered on Thanksgiving Day in 2012. Haley and Nicholas, who were cousins, broke into the home of 64-year-old Byron Smith in Little Falls, Minnesota. Smith shot the teens separately and 10 minutes apart as they entered the basement where he was, later stating to the police that he was afraid the teens were armed. But after already shooting them once, he is said to have repeatedly taunted them while they lay injured, and he shot them execution style until they were dead. Wow. Totally an accident, <laughs> right? Sounds, sounds, like it. sounds open and shut. Smith waited a day before. I don't know if you've caught the sarcasm. Sorry. <clears throat> Smith waited a day before he reported the shooting to police. And he kept the corpses in his closet. Another wow. Yeah. On April 29th, 2014, Smith was found guilty of two counts of premeditated first-degree murder. He was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. This case would spark a debate over the quote-unquote castle doctrine, which allows homeowners to defend their property with lethal force. The prosecution alleged that Smith's actions and the recording he made of himself while the event was unfolding showed premeditation since he was lying in wait and that he used excessive force after he had neutralized the threat to his home. A jury convicted him after just three hours of deliberation. I don't think it would have taken me that long. Right. Like, so why'd you have to shoot him again? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Execution Mm-hmm. Now that you have the synopsis... Let's go back to the beginning of the event. Smith, who was born June 11th, 1948, was, a reti- was retired from the U.S. State Department. He had never married and he lived alone. His brother said he was a retired security engineering officer. During the trial, Smith claimed that he had been burglar... Burg- oh my God, I'm going to be the Scottish person who can't say burgled. During the trial, Smith claimed that he had been burglarized at least a half a dozen times in the months leading up to this event, but he had only reported one of these burglaries to the police, and the investigators only found evidence of two previous burglaries. Why did I write that so many fucking times? (laughs) Just trying to fuck with myself, apparently. (laughs) One of those being in his detached garage, which Smith had yet to learn when the police brought it up. Among the stolen items were $4,000 in cash, his father's POW watch, which sucks, coins from his collection, and a chainsaw. After these incidents, Smith began to routinely wear a holster with a loaded gun inside his home. And he started stashing water bottles and granola bars in his basement. Weird, right? Yeah. (laughs) I was waiting for that face. Yeah. So, Smith also installed a security system to help protect himself. On November 22, 2012, Smith parked his vehicle down the street in front of his neighbor's house. And about an hour later, Kiffer and Brady broke into Smith's house. Video surveillance caught the teenagers casing Smith's property before they broke in. In his account to the police, Smith had been visiting his neighbors when he saw Kiefer, Kiefer, I'm not going to, I just don't know how to say it. I don't remember. (laughs) Whom he had previously suspected was responsible for the burglaries driving past his house. 
He commented that he needed to get ready for her and he went back to his house. When he entered his house, he turned on a recording device. He removed the light bulbs from the ceiling lights and he positioned himself in a chair that was hidden from view. So he set this up. He did. (laughs) Yeah. He heard the upstairs window break and Brady climbed in, as captured on the audio. Smith then waited in silence for 12 minutes until Brady started to go downstairs to the basement. Smith then shot Brady twice while he was on the stairs and once again in the head after he had fallen to the bottom of the stairs. Smith then made taunting remarks to Brady's lifeless body. Yeah. So he didn't, like, warn him or anything? Nope. He didn't say, stop or I'll shoot. He didn't say, I have a gun. I'm calling the police. Nope, just shot him. Yep. Wow. He then wrapped his body in a tarp and dragged him into another room. Smith then went upstairs, and 10 to 15 minutes later, he went back down to the basement, reloaded his gun, and went back to his previous position in the obscured, obscured chair. Just minutes later... Kiefer entered the house and called out her cousin's name. As she made her way to the basement, Smith shot her. Wounded, Kiefer fell down the stairs, and Smith can be heard on the recording sarcastically saying, quote, Oh, so sorry about that, end quote. Followed by Kiefer saying, quote, Oh my God, end quote, very quickly. Smith shoots her again, multiple times in her torso, in the midst of which which she screams, quote-unquote, oh my God. And he shoots her again, once next to her left eye. Smith repeatedly calls her derogatory names, and then he dragged her into the other room. He tossed her body on top of her cousins and shot her one final time under her chin, murdering her. The audio and video of the events were also recorded by Mr. Smith's security system. As stated before, the deaths were not immediately reported to the police. He waited until the next day to report anything. Morrison County Sheriff Michael Wetzel has acknowledged that Brady and Kiefer were absolutely at Smith's house to burgle it. Brady's sister claimed that Brady had stolen drugs from her home on August 28th, a case that was still under investigation at the time of Brady's killing. Which, all to say... He didn't deserve what happened to him. It doesn't matter. That's just my opinion, though. Like, shoot him in the leg to stop him? Or, I mean, even... Right. Didn't even give him a warning. Incapacitate. Warning, incapacitate, be done. Call the police. I'm going to kill these guys. Or if you knew it was going to happen, why wouldn't you just call the police and be like, hey, this is what's going to happen. I guarantee it. Anyway... Evidence recovered from the car driven by Brady was linked to a burglary of the residence of a retired teacher the night before he and Kiefer were killed by Smith. Smith's statements to the police described him delivering the fatal blows, or the coup mortel, to the heads of both teens after he had already shot them on the stairs and they lay wounded on the basement floor. Smith said that Kiefer had let out a short laugh after she fell down the stairs saying, quote, if you're going to shoot somebody and they laugh at you, you go again, end quote. Mm-hmm. However, the audio tape did not record Kiefer laughing. Mm. Instead, she just cries, oh my God, very rapidly in fear. So it's just what he heard in his head. Uh-huh. In police interviews, Smith acknowledges, quote, firing more shots than I needed to, 
and that he fired, quote, a good, clean finishing shot, end quote, into wow. Kiefer's head. Wow. Yeah. Total house defense only. <clears throat> Legal analysts have stated that the initial shootings most likely would have been justified under Minnesota's laws, but the subsequent shots were not justified once any threat had been removed. Sheriff Wetzel said, quote, the law doesn't permit you to execute somebody once a threat is gone, end quote. Hamlin University School of Law professor Joseph Olson said, quote, I think the first shot is justified. After the person is no, no longer a threat because they are seriously wounded, the application of self-defense is over, mm-hmm. end quote. And I tend to agree with that. Yeah. Along with his home surveillance system, Smith also recorded at least six hours of audio on a digital recorder in the basement of the house. Before the break-in, he could be heard saying, quote, in your left eye, end quote. Mm-hmm. Wow. And, quote, I realize I don't have an appointment, but I would like to see one of the lawyers here, end quote. The prosecution noted that Smith later shot Kiefer in the left eye, and they allege that the other statement is a rehearsal of what he would say after the shooting which is an indication that he knew he was going to need an attorney. No kidding. Right. After the shootings, Smith made several statements, including, I am not a bleeding heart liberal. I felt like I was cleaning up a mess, not like spilled food, not like vomit, not even like, not even like diarrhea, the worst mess possible. And I was stuck with it in some tiny little respect. I was doing my civic duty. If the law enforcement system couldn't handle it, I had to do it. I had to do it. The law system couldn't handle her and it fell in my lap and she dropped her problem in my lap and she threw her own problem in my face and I had to clean it up. What? And that's all a quote. That was all him. So Smith's recorded statements, the evidence indicating he had planned the shootings along with the excessive number of shots fired led Smith being charged with second degree murder. However, in April 2013, he was indicted on two counts of first-degree murder. His bail was later set at $50,000, which today would be about, like, $62,000, almost sixty-three, which Smith was able to post. Probably because he didn't have kids or a wife. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, doesn't surprise me much. (laughs) Hamlin Law Professor Emeritus Joseph Daly commented that the laws surrounding the case were dividing the Little Falls community. Quote, in some states, if somebody breaks into your home, you are allowed to shoot them dead, period. End quote. He pointed out that other states like Florida have a stand-your-ground law, but Minnesota has what's known as a reasonable person doctrine. Quote, if a reasonable person would see if you are in fear of great bodily harm or death, that is our statute. It comes down to what would a reasonable person see in this situation for Mr. Smith, end quote, arguing that summary execution is reasonable. On April 21st, 1st, sorry, <laughs> 2014, Smith's jury trial commenced in Morrison County. Smith was represented by attorneys Stephen J. Meshbesher and Adam T. Johnson. I know it sounded like I was not saying that right. Meshbesher. It's Meshbesher. <laughs> April 29, 2014, Smith was found guilty on two counts of first-degree murder with premeditation and also on two counts of second-degree murder after the jury deliberated for three hours. He was immediately sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. 
The audio recordings were named by the jurors as the biggest influence on their decision. Quote, that was the most damning piece of evidence in my mind, end quote, said Wes Hedlstead, one of the 12 jurors. Quote, that audio recording of the actual killings and the audio recording of Mr. Smith's interview immediately after his arrest pretty much convinced me that we were dealing with a deranged individual, end quote. That's putting it mildly, in my opinion. When it was all over, moments after he had been found guilty on all four counts of murder, Smith did not stand in respect for the jury. Instead, Smith sat at the defense table, silent. Everyone around him rose to attention as the jury members filed out of the Morrison County courtroom. During the trial, they had all heard the audio recordings of gunshots booming out, then of two teenagers groaning and screaming. Smith muttering as they lay dead on his basement floor, quote, I do not see them as human, I see them as vermin, end wow. quote. Jurors were charged with answering the question of whether Smith acted as a reasonable person would have under the circumstances. Family members of the victims cried as the verdicts were read. This case had been nationally watched and Smith had become a symbol in the countrywide debate over the so-called Castle Doctrine Laws which raised questions about how far a homeowner can go to defend himself and his property. Relatives were allowed to give victim impact statements before Judge Douglas Anderson imposed two concurrent life sentences. Brady's grandmother, Bonnie Schaeffel, I think that's how you say that, told the judge, quote, Smith was robbed of things. Nick and Hallie were robbed of their lives, end quote. Prosecutor Pete Orpet had asked the judge to impose consecutive life sentences as a symbolic gesture, but the judge declined. Orput said in a statement that he was grateful justice was done, but also saddened. Quote, we've got two dead kids over nothing. End quote. Defense yes. attorney Steve Meshbesher and the, said that Smith was a, quote, very distraught and he was very emotionally upset. End quote. Meshbesher told the reporters outside the courthouse after the trial that he wasn't allowed to show jurors all the evidence that he felt was necessary. I think he showed exactly what was necessary. Right. He had tried, for instance, to introduce evidence that Kiefer and Brady's previous troubles with the law, including Brady's connection to prior burglaries. Anderson ruled, though, that Smith didn't know who he was shooting that day, so their histories or reputations were not relevant. Mesh Besher said, quote, I think jurors had a very limited view of the case, end quote. Prosecutors contended from the beginning that Smith had crossed a legal line into execution when he continued to shoot Brady and Kiefer. Mm -hmm. They argued that Smith, whose home and adjoining property had earlier break-ins, had planned to take matters into his own hands. During closing arguments, Orput said that Smith was setting a trap for a neighbor girl who he believed to have been behind the break-ins. The prosecutor contended Smith saw her drive on his street that morning and set his plan into motion. Moving his truck to appear as if he wasn't home. So I was going to say, I mean, he moved his car. Activating the audio recorder in the basement, loading his guns, and settling into a basement reading chair with water, snacks, and a novel. Wow. Orput also said Smith had a tarp at the ready to wrap the body or bodies in after he shot them. Mm-hmm. Orput told the jury, quote, some of you hunters will think this sounds like deer hunting, end quote. That's crazy. 
Later, while showing the photo of where Smith's chair was in the basement, he referred to it as his quote-unquote deer stand. Yeah. Yeah. That's... I don't know about that. Orpet questioned why Smith didn't bother calling the police and why didn't he shout a warning before shooting, asking the jury, quote, is that reasonable, end quote. Nope. Meshbetcher said that Smith was increasingly scared as the burglaries increased at his home. And then he was frozen in fear once he saw the shadows outside and heard someone break glass in his upstairs. He said if Brady and Kiefer hadn't broken in, there would have been no trial. Meshbesher said, quote, homes are where we live to feel safe and it's our castle in this country, end quote. Smith, he added, grew more and more afraid to live in his own home to the point that he would carry a gun around inside his own house. Following his sentencing, Smith appealed to the Minnesota Supreme Court. On March 9th, 2016, the Minnesota Supreme Court affirmed Smith's conviction and sentence. In November of 2018, Smith's attorneys filed a federal appeal, citing a brief closure of the trial to the public as grounds for Smith's conviction to be set aside, which, if granted, would mean a new trial would be needed. The federal district court denied relief and the United States Court of Appeals for the Eighth Circuit agreed. On November 20th, 2020, Smith's lawyers filed a petition for a writ of certiori, I'm sure I'm not saying that properly, in the U.S. Supreme Court, which was denied on March 22nd, 2021. Smith is currently incarcerated at Oak Park Heights Prison. And that is Byron Smith. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to Champagne and Murder, Please. We really do appreciate each and every one of you. We enjoy bringing the show to you every week. We worked kind of hard on kind this. Of. <laughs> okay, it took me a long time. Um, <laughs> but I hope you enjoyed your Thanksgiving special. Um, I hope that you guys have a fantastic Thanksgiving. I hope you spend it with your family and have a great time. Eat I hope you goodies. guys have a good weekend. Yes. And a good next week. And we will talk to you again next week. Um, if you want to follow us on any of our socials, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Hello, TikTok Live. But anyway, if you guys have any stories for us, if you have anything you want to tell us, if you want to follow us, again, just Champagne Murder, please. Super easy. You can find it anywhere. Um, but yeah, I hope you guys have a great Thanksgiving. And everybody on TikTok Live, this is happening a week before. So you guys are like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> it's <not gonna> <laughs> like, it's Friday. But it will be. I don't know what you're talking about. But yeah. Have a happy Thanksgiving. Have a happy Turkey Day. And remember what we're celebrating. Um, really so. <laughs> yes. All right. And we will talk to you next week. And remember, stay safe and And don't don't take take candy candy from strangers. strangers. Goodbye.